Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Last night of revival. Man, oh man. You get rid of me. <laughs> That's what my wife says. You get rid of me. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 6. been walking through uh, this chapter, uh, at least some of it with you, this week and just really been exploring about what God wants to do in our life through it. And it's been uh, fantastic. So I want to share a little bit uh, more of it with you tonight. want to uh, kind of just bring us up to speed and uh, kind of just uh, familiarize us once again with the chapter and its layout. Again, it's, uh, it's really crucial to know that... Chapter 6 is the product of the first five chapters. It's a major section in John's Gospel. Uh, the story actually begins at chapter 1, verse 19, where John the Baptist is out and he's witnessing and testifying about Jesus. The first 18 verses of this Gospel is what we call a prologue. That's a word before. It's very typical of John's writings. He has those in three of his five writings. We've been dealing with, we dealt with that extensively in the book of Revelation. He has a prologue there. So the actual narrative or story begins at chapter 1, verse 19, and then builds. And one of the things we've seen in John's writings is that he, he writes in, in these building kinds of, developing kinds of ways. So what he's been doing over these first six chapters, he's been introducing a couple different things for us. And the first thing, we've already looked at this this week, he's been introducing the gospel according to Jesus, is what we're calling this. In other words, Jesus has been traveling for six chapters, and he's been preaching, uh, he's been telling about the good news, and he's been John has been developing that over six chapters, taking what Jesus has been saying and hammering that out for these six, first six chapters. Now, we looked at that Sunday morning and the gospel according to Jesus, the things that Jesus is talking about, the things that John's been developing, is basically three things in three statements. Uh, Jesus talks about believing in him. Okay, First foundational point of the gospel is believing in him. It's centered in on Jesus. And the lifestyle of believing in him is eternal living. So in other words, what is eternal life for John? It is a daily walking in the reality of his presence, knowing him in the circumstances of my life, in fellowship with him, leaning on him. That's eternal life. A moment-by-moment moment walk with him. Okay? So believing in him is eternal life, and that eternal life is so significant that it has attached to it eternal significance. Literally, the way we live now with Jesus determines our being raised up at the last day. And uh, all kinds of passages talk about that in the New Testament, that on the last day, judgment's not going to take place in the strictest form because judgment depends on how we respond to Jesus now. At the last day, there's just going to be a great separation. Jesus is going to stand there at the resurrection and says, hey, okay, you're a sheep, get over there. Hey, you're not a, get over here, goat, and separate goats over there and sheep's over there. So there's this great separation. That's one of the themes that John has been developing over the first six chapters. He's been hammering out that message. Okay, an example of a theme. Another theme, this is really significant, another theme that he's been developing that finds its way into this, uh, in this chapter is the audience. There's been an audience that's been developing. And you get to see this audience in great detail. You always have this great following of Jesus. Wherever he goes, they, they crowd around him. They're watching the miracles. They're hanging on every word that he says. And that audience has been developing. Now you see that audience in this sixth chapter. And we, we're looking at that audience in three chunks. Okay? The first chunk, and this is the first time I've introduced this to you, the first chunk of that audience is the group that we call the disciples. 
Okay? They are the ones that are on the in crowd. They're the ones that believe. They're the ones that have responded to the message. They're the ones that are following Jesus and saying, hey, we want you to be our king. We're hanging on every word that you say. We believe who you are. We surrender our lives to you. They're the disciples, first group in this audience. The second group in this audience is the, is the group that John calls the Jews. Now, they're primarily made up of, and when he says the Jews, he's not talking about the nationality uh, you know, uh, the Jews in uh, terms of, uh, uh, you know, the, the nation or the culture of the Jews. It's a specific group that he labels the Jews. They're primarily made up of the leaders of Israel. But the Jews are those who are hostile to Jesus' ministry. See, they're the ones that want to kill Jesus. Let me give you an example of them. We're in chapter 6. I want you to uh, just flip over even one page. In my Bible, it's one page. To chapter 5. And this is the characteristic of the Jews. Okay, this is the characteristic of the Jews. Uh, Jesus, at the first 15 verses of chapter 5, is in the temple, and you have the details of what he did in the temple, and they're given to us there. Verse 16 is the Jews' response. Verse 16 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews, this is their response, they persecute Jesus. Now you say, okay, what do they mean by persecution? Well, this is not the kind of thing where, okay, uh, yeah, they make it hard on Jesus. Oh, yeah, they talk behind his back. They start gossiping about him. Uh, they push him around. They intimidate him. And, uh, you know, um, they uh, you know, spread bad rumors about him, put it up on MySpace, that kind of stuff. Uh, they, but they put a, 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 you know, a kind of a sticky thing on his back. It says, kick me, that kind of a thing. See, they're persecuting Jesus. That's not what this word means. The word persecution literally has to do with uh, open violence against somebody. Okay? They are literally express physical harm and violence towards Jesus. That's their response. That's the thrust of the Jews. In fact, it says persecution in verse 16, but look what it says in verse 18. Verse 18 says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Oh, they were persecuting him before and they were going to kill him before, but now they're really going to kill him. Okay? That's the nature of this Jews group. That's in this audience in chapter 6. So we have the disciples, those who believe in Jesus. Then you have the Jews. Those are the ones that not only don't believe in Jesus, but they're what, the ones that are hostile against him. They want to kill him. And everyone in that group, they're the out. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't recognize him as the Messiah. They don't see him for who he is. Disciples and Jews. Now the other group that's, that's presented in chapter 6 is this mass crowd. You have disciples in the crowd, and you have Jews in the crowd. You have those who rebel, you know, the hostile ones. But then you have a lot of undetermined ones. You have those who are going to respond. They haven't made a choice yet. They, uh, some of them are just seeing Jesus for the first time. But Jesus, in chapter 6, is going to press them with such intensity, he's going to force them into one of those groups. He's going to force them in choosing. See, everybody who has the opportunity to hear Jesus is going to choose one of two groups. You know that? Do you know there's only two groups? There's sheep and goats. The last day, he's separating sheep from goats. There's not like sheep, goats, and like wildebeest over in the corner somewhere. No, there's sheep and goats. If you're not a sheep, you're a goat. If you're not a goat, you're a sheep, period. There's only two groups. There's no middle ground here. So everybody in this chapter, if they're not a sheep or a goat, if they're not a disciple, if they're not a, uh, a Jew, those who are hostile against Jesus and against the message, hey, they're in this group that Jesus is going to press and say, listen, in or out, man. There's no riding the fence on this kind of a deal. 
Okay? This is the, and this is the other aspect that John's been developing for six chapters. Now, really, are you following with me? You tracking? Now, I say developing because these same three groups have been presented all the way back from the beginning of the chapter. Uh, for instance, go back with me quickly to chapter 2. In chapter 2, you have these three groups present. They're introduced to us here, but they follow throughout the first six chapters. In chapter 2, of the beginning of the chapter, you have the miracle at Cana. But when you come into verse 12, you have Jesus clearing the temple. Uh, he's in the temple, and of course there's the details of that are given to us from verse 12 down through verse 16. At verse 17 through the end of the chapter, you have three groups presented that respond to Jesus. Verse 17 is what group? The disciples. It reads, his disciples remembered. Verse 18 is what group? The Jews. Verse 18 through 22 is the Jews. Then the Jews demanded. Okay? Verses 23 through the verse 25 is the mass crowd. The mass crowd. So you have these three groups presented. They're presented in chapter 2 and they're strewn throughout the entire first six chapters. So... I'm trying to, what I'm trying to present to you is chapter 6 is really significant because it's where all of these individual themes that John has been writing, they all seem to come together here in chapter 6. So this is really significant. Now, we've been taking this chapter and we've been breaking it down and seeing how all three of these groups appear in, the, in this sixth chapter and how they kind of flow, function, and relate to each other. Uh, the chapter 6 is really easy to break down. Of course, the first 15 verses is the miracle. That's where Jesus actually feeds the, uh, uh, the 5,000. At verse 16 down through verse 21, you have the account where Jesus walks out on across the water and it's that miracle that takes place, the walking on the water miracle. And he deals that, that's with the disciples. Uh, as we looked at this week, verses 22 through 24 is where the crowd says, hey, morning has come, we've went up on the mountain, we can't find Jesus, let's go out and look for him. And they start in Capernaum, which is where they find him. And the bulk of their conversation after they find Jesus is from verse 25 down through verse 59. So that's where they talk. And that all happens at the synagogue area. And then verses 60 down to the end of the chapter is uh, the conclusion. It's where this 5,000 crowd where that Jesus just presses. They make their choice which group they're going to be in. They're going to be a disciple or they're going to be a Jew. And what's so profound about verses 60 through the end of the chapter is by the end of the chapter, guess how many people have chose to be in the disciple crowd? Twelve. Which tells you everybody else has not responded because of the message. In fact, it says in verse 60... 6, verse 66, from this time on, many of his disciples, that's a generic term for the group, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus turns to the twelve. says, are you out of here too? Uh, this, is the, this is the sixth chapter. Um, I want to focus with you uh, in this chapter specifically on verses 41 through 45, which deals with this group, the Jews. And I've really been excited about it. Uh, and the reason I got excited about it is because we've done some studies with the Jews before, as I talked to you about. We've looked at the Jews, and I've seen them over the first six chapters, and we've had to deal with them, their hostility towards Jesus. Uh, chapter 5, uh, the verses 16 down through the end of the chapter, is a one-on-one -on -one conversation between Jesus and these hostile Jews. So we really dealt with them heavily in chapter 5. But when we come into chapter 6... There's a whole different aspect of the Jews that John wants us to see. And this has been difficult for me. 
You know why? Because I see some of them in me. It's called conviction. The Word does that to us. And there's a different side of the Jews that's shown to us. First five chapters, it's hostility. It's open persecution. I mean, they're going to try to kill him. They're going to try to connive, take his life. They're really aggressive. They're sarcastic towards Jesus. In chapter 6, that's not, that's not the case. In chapter 6, the emphasis is beyond physical activities of they're going to kill him, what they're doing, how they're opposing Jesus, what they said. It's not physical activities kind of stuff. It's inside spiritual placement of their heart. John is talking about this group called the Jews and he's showing you the insides of who they are. But as we've been looking at this week, that's the whole of John chapter 6. John chapter 6, as we talked about even last night, is not about physical activities. Jesus is not criticizing about physical activities. Jesus is pointing to spiritual problems. For instance, we looked at verse 26. If you looked at verse 26, that's the passage where Jesus says, you're not after me, but you're satisfied with food. Hey, you're not after me. The reason you're seeking me is not because of me. Hey, you saw these signs and the miracles, but I'm no, I'm no more than a, a sideshow attraction to you. You're not after me because of me. You're after me for what you can get from me. And for them, it's food. Perhaps in our day, uh, it's other things, you know. I mean, people... Um, I'll give you an example. When I was in the military, um, no one went to Sunday morning church service when we was in... And I was spent five months in Somalia and the Somalia conflict, that Black Hawk Down thing. I was there and spent five months there and middle of December through May. And uh, Sunday mornings, everybody wanted to sleep in. See, no one went to the church service. But when things got hot and heavy and we were under fire and all that kind of stuff, guess who was praying? Everybody. Which doesn't have to do with Jesus. It was Jesus get me out of this message. So I wasn't seeking Jesus for Jesus. I was seeking Jesus to use him for my own purposes. That's this group. They don't have anything to do with Jesus at all. They're satisfied with the food. They're not after Jesus. Jesus says this. So Jesus is... And, and again, that cannot be solved by a physical conclusion. That cannot be solved by some physical deal that they do. Jesus is pointing out an inside spiritual thing in their life. So, uh, Monday night here at this church, we looked at verse 27, which Jesus says, don't work for the food that spoils. And that work, work is a spiritual activity thing. So Jesus is addressing an inside spiritual deal in their life. So John chapter 6 is concerned with inside spiritual stuff. And when we look at the Jews, he doesn't talk about their physical activities of persecution and that kind of thing. When we look at the Jews, John is exposing the inside spiritual deal that's within them he's showing us the spiritual position of their heart and it's interesting because he describes them as grumblers grumblers look with me at verse 41 at this the jews begin to grumble that's right they begin to grumble you ever grumble now, I probably should define grumbling for you. Grumbling is what the Israelites, this is the exact same word. If you were to go back into the Old Testament and you were to read the Exodus and the Deuteronomy and the, and the Numbers and that whole deal account, and you find that the Israelites are following uh, God throughout the desert, being led by Moses, and they are constantly grumbling. The Hebrew translated, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, 
But about 30-some years before the birth of Jesus, they translated the Old Testament Hebrew because of Alexander the Great and the influx of the Greek culture. Uh, they translated the Hebrew into Greek. And that Greek translation is called the 70 uh, or the LXX, Roman numerals. You might have seen that in your Bible. It's the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, which is probably the Bible the disciples used, okay, the early church used. When you go back into that Greek translation of the Old Testament and you look at the grumbling that the Israelites did, it's the same word in our passage. It's grumbling. It's not, it's not disappointment. It's not... I wouldn't even chalk it up as being frustrated. Okay, So I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. When I'm talking about grumbling, it's, it's the lack of spiritual insight. It's, it's kind of stuff. Can't be pleased. Always have bad stuff to say. Uh, there's nothing that ever good's happening in your life. It's always drama. Oh, I hate drama. That's why I don't watch soap operas. Okay? It's always <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you want me to talk to him? <laughs> it's no big deal. Happens to me all the time. Grumbling. I can't stand that. And grumbling is what? Now get this. This is the Jews. This is the leadership of Israel. And John exposes their insides and he calls it grumbling. Grum, you know what grumbling is? Grumbling is a negative connotation, but it's the inside of a person that is exposed. When they're grumbling, it's the overflow of their mouth kind of a thing. The illustration that I use is uh, you have a bottle of water. I drink bottled water. Uh, that's because your water makes me sick. But I have bottled water, and it's filled with water. And so I take that water, the cap off of it, and I squeeze it really hard, really fast. What happens? Water comes spraying out of that deal, okay? That's ex see, the, because of the outside circumstances, my hand, the outside circumstances squeeze that bottle, the inside of the bottle goes out of it. See, what's happening is the circumstances in the Jew's life, just like every person that walks around going, tick, 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 grumbling, the circumstances of their life squeeze them and outflows that grumbling. So grumbling is a telltale sign of an inward spiritual condition in their life. I want to walk you through this. This is really good stuff. Verses 41 down through verse 45. And let's look at it together. First thing you're going to notice as I read through this just really quickly. I'm reading out of the New International Version. You're going to notice that really what's going on with the leaders of Israel, the Jews here, okay, this opposition group, is they are just completely wrought with confusion. I mean, they are just confused all to pieces. Look, what it, look, look how this unfolds. Verses 41 through 45. At this, the Jews begin to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? That's the specifics of what they're grumbling about. They can't see. They don't understand. And before we look at what uh, Jesus says, of course, he looks at them, verse 43, and says, stop grumbling, you grumblers. See, they're always confused. Now, this really made me think. See, how in the world... Now, this, this baffles me. As a young Christian, these are the kind of things that I thought about. How in the world could this group here not have the spiritual insight to see what's going on? How is that possible? How could they not have the spiritual insight to see what's going on? I mean, Jesus is literally God come down in the flesh and dwell in the midst of this group. 
And I found it amazing as a young Christian that God comes down in the middle of this, in the middle of the people of Israel. You with me? God comes down in the middle of the people of Israel and he tabernacles among them and the church of that day does not see him, but the prostitutes do. How's that possible? That God could come down and tabernacle in the midst of his people. That's like saying that God could come here in the midst of uh, Borger, Texas. God could come down in the midst of Borger, Texas and he could move in your midst and everybody in the town would see him except for, guess who? Your church. See, I shake my head and think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, something we've been dealing with, that I have been forced to deal with, is some of the just utter lack of spiritual insight in the church today. I'm not criticizing, and I'm not saying that I have great insight in everything, but some of the most obvious spiritual things, people have no they, they, they miss it, they don't see. How is that possible? I mean, they remind me of the Jews. For example, when I went to teen camp when I was a kid, 200 of us went, we had one nurse. One nurse. And she wasn't up 24 hours a day. I mean, if we got skin knees, she put a Band-Aid on it. That was it. We went back. I, went, I did a youth retreat. I won't tell you what district on, but about 250 teens. And I, I about fell over at the number of nurses that were there and, and medical supervisor worker volunteers. They had an average of one per every 12 kids. And I said, go to your teen camp. See how many are there. And I said, how is that possible? They need that many to manage. And it's normally one per every other cabin. They need that many to manage the amount of medication that our kids are on. Talk to one of the girls in her cabin, and she has a youth group that came to that thing about 25. Half the girls in her cabin, junior high girls, were on Prozac or Zoloft. That, folks, there is something wrong with that. I'm just going to be quite frank with you. I'm not saying that, hey... That there are not situations that require those kind of depression medicines. But I'm telling you, I see it from week to week that in these days, parents are raising their kids. They are parenting their kids with drugs. And that, there is something wrong with that. I have at every church, people come up to me and say, hey, you should put your kid on Ritalin. In fact, you should try it yourself. But I'm telling you, hey, drugging my kid is not the answer. I am a parent and literally, these, and, and you talk to some of them, oh, I, they're emotional wreck, and, da, 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 and they don't have the spiritual insight to recognize they're trying to drug, oftentimes, a spiritual problem in their kid's life. Now, hey, I don't want to get into it, who should have it and who should not have it. I mean, would it, I mean, can't they see that? I mean, oftentimes, a lot of those things are a manifestation, a lot of those problems and emotions are a manifestation of a spiritual issue in their life. See, I've, I've marveled at some of the church people that are in church today and some of the people in the world that call themselves Christians who have just zero, a lack of spiritual insight on these kind of things. Now, when you look at the Jews... I didn't offend you, did I? That's last night anyway. Okay. Um, but I'm amazed, for instance, at the Jews here and their lack of spiritual insight. Specifically... Uh, they're grumbling about Jesus and say, how in the world can Jesus say that he came down from heaven? So the whole bulk of what Jesus has been talking about, this is heavy stuff. We walked through some of it. I mean, the whole deal about talking about the Father's will and the Father's dream and he's talking about the Father's heart and it's passion that's spilling out of his lips. See, they walk out of that sermon going, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> I'd love to tell you about how many times 
I've been to services and I've preached and God has moved and it's been fantastic and it's been and God has moved and teens are coming down to the altar. And the first thing that someone comes up to me and says after the service is, well, you went a little too long. That's grumbling, folks. To be in services, I guarantee you, I won't put you on the spot, Pastor. But I guarantee you, pastors have seen this. Where God's moving in the service and God's doing fantastic things. And oh, it's fantastic. Whoa, it's fan. And after the service, someone says, well, Pastor, I just couldn't focus. That light bulb was flickering and I just, you got to get that fixed. And just, they totally missed this. Do you get that? God's moving and it was powerful and teens were singing and praising God. Well, it was choruses and I just can't worship to choruses. Or worse, it was hymns and I just can't worship to hymns. That tells you the spiritual, their spiritual focus. In the midst of what God is doing, they absolutely miss it. And what flows out of them is... Well, the preacher, he wears jeans. God, good night. Man, well, I haven't seen him wear a tie all week. I just can't focus. And that, that's the grumbling that we're seeing here. That's what's going on inside it. They had no spiritual insight. And we won't take time to do this. But if you walk through the first six chapters of this book, this goes on over and over and over and over again. Every time they're in the midst of Jesus teaching and Jesus preaching and Jesus moving and, and all the moving of the Spirit where God is dealing, they miss out. Now what's contrasted with this is, is you have a whole other group that's called the, the disciples and they see. Jesus preaches and they understand. Hey, Jesus is talking about the Father's doing and, and they don't miss a thing. Let me give you just one example of this. Okay, maybe two. But turn back with me to chapter 2. This, is, this was a study we did years ago, it seems. Well, it has been years ago now. But Jesus comes into the temple. Uh, I, I was, of all the scenes of Jesus, as a young guy, and probably for, for the wrong motive, I always kind, kind of lent towards, uh, uh, leaned, lent towards um, the cleansing of the temple scene. Because I've been to a couple of churches that I like to do that at. But um, Jesus, that's just preacher jokes, I'm kidding kind of joking but uh, jesus comes down to the temple he makes these whip of cords i found it significant in john's in john's gospel verses chapter 2 verses 12 through 16 those are the details you realize when you're when you're following that passage and it's in all four gospels the same jesus does not tell the disciples what he's going to do before he gets there he's not hinting about it he's not coming down to jerusalem saying well i wonder what's going to happen in the temple today he didn't do that he didn't look at the disciples and say, you guys paying attention? Never know what might happen. See, there's no preparation. He didn't prep them. There was none of that kind of stuff. In fact, the passage gives you the idea that Jesus comes in, he sees what's taking place in the temple, and he's overwhelmed seeing that perspective, seeing that scene through God's perspective, through God's eyes. He sees it the way his father does, and it's just a natural reaction of, I, this can't, I can't tolerate this. And he runs through and cleanses the place. Now, in chapter 2, and we looked at it at the beginning of the message, there's how many groups there? Three. The disciples, the, and the crowd. It's interesting that if you look at the Jews in this passage, they don't understand a thing that Jesus did. Look what it says in verse 18. Uh, verse 18 begins, The Jews demanded, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? In other words, they don't sense the moving of God. And Jesus gives them. He says, Here's the sign. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in the last day. The Jews replied, It's taken 46 years. And they miss it. 
They don't understand what he said. But guess who does understand what he says? Look at verse 21. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And you go back to verse 17. That's the disciples' response. His disciples remembered that it was written, Seal for your house will consume me. They see it. So you have, get this, you have ignorant fishermen down there at the temple. God comes and moves. They get in on it. The leaders of Israel don't. And the telltale sign of the leaders of Israel not having any spiritual insight is the grumbling that's going on in their life. See, when they're squeezed by their circumstances, what pour out of them, pours out of them is this grumbling. So what's, what's going on, if you don't mind, turn back with me really quickly to chapter 6. I'll explain it right afterwards, okay, buddy? When you go back to chapter 6, what's going on with the leaders of Israel in verses 41 down through verse 45 is this grumbling. Uh, and they're grumbling because they're confused. Now, again, that really makes me wonder, how could they miss this? And you can't chalk it up as, for instance, some of the things that I thought was, okay, how could the Jews miss what Jesus is saying? Well, maybe it's because they don't have the proper education. Well, that's what it is. Well, they don't have the proper education. That's not true, because the disciples are ignorant fishermen. Okay, it's not education. Well, I know what it is. Um, they, don't, they haven't spent any time around Jesus. I mean, there's something to be said about length of time in the church. But that really doesn't make sense. Because you have people that only spend like a snap of a time with Jesus, like the woman at the well in chapter 4, and she has phenomenal spiritual insight, and she sees what's going on. And then there are others like Judas, who spent how many years with Jesus? And never get it. So it's not time in the church. See, it's not that... See, what's, stu what's, what's stumbling up this group? How is it that the leaders of Israel cannot see what Jesus is saying? How come they have no spiritual insight to see what God is moving? Jesus answers this question for us. Uh, we looked at verse 41. They're grumbling. They're grumbling at what Jesus said. How can he say he came down from heaven? Look, what, look how Jesus answers. This is so neat. Jesus does not defend himself. Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, you want to know why you're in confusion? You want to know why you have grumbling and, and that kind of spilling out of your life? You want, to know, you want to know why you have absolutely no spiritual insight? You cannot recognize God moving? You haven't been responding to God. Because if you had been responding to God, I would make sense to you. Listen to what he says. It's so plain. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That tells you that this group hasn't been responding to God. Why would they respond to Jesus? And I'll raise him up the last day. Verse 45. They'll all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father comes to me. See, a telltale sign. A telltale sign of an individual who sees, who hears. Hey, they've responded. So responding, and there's a shift that needs to take place. And this is, this is, so, this is, this was, this is what was new truth to me. A shift has to, be take, take, has to take place in our life. Spiritual insight is the product of responding in belief and trust of God. Okay? In other words, the circumstances of my life make sense once I respond and trust in Jesus, not before. The circumstances of my life, this is hard to grasp, 
The circumstances of my life only make sense seeing the work of God in my life, seeing the plan of God in the midst of the disasters of my life. You only see that when you respond and trust in God before you see the truth of it. In other words, um, give an example of this. Paul and Silas in prison. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas got thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. I know you've heard this this story before. Paul and Silas are on their way to a place of prayer. They they, they cast this demon uh, out of this young girl who's prophesying. And their owners grab Paul and Silas, rush them into the town, have them put on trial and beaten, flogged, ripped to shreds and thrown in prison. And in verse 25 it says, About midnight... It does not say Paul and Silas were grumbling. What were Paul and Silas doing? Praising and singing hymns to God. Did they understand their situation? I mean, did they, could they understand what was taking place? They literally were, their response was, I trust you in the middle of this mess. And on the back side of that situation is when you see the truth of the whole matter. In other words, uh, and I've had this in my life over and over and over again, that I live my life in constant confusion. My, my wife says I walk around half the time with my heads in the cloud. It is true. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in over my head. I, 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 I kind of, I, my life is run more by looking behind me going, okay, that's what you're doing. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Because in the midst of my, the mess of my life, I find myself in these circumstances, the flat tires of my life, the difficulties with our children, Hey, the, the, the confusion and, and canceling and schedules and all of these kinds of deals. I find myself in those situations and I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? And I don't see the plan in that. I don't see that. I, I don't have great insight at that moment. My response is, even though I don't see it, I trust you. I respond to you. Hey, I'm, I'm living for your plan. I'm, I'm literally basing my life off your word that you're leading and guiding. You never leave me, never forsake me. And once I respond in belief and trust to him, on the back side of that, spiritual insight is given. If that makes sense. So spiritual insight in my life, in other words, God doesn't come to me and say, okay, Jeremiah, I'm going to do something, but I kind of want to get your permission first off. I'm going to do this, and he explains all of it to me before it happens. Jeremiah, before you leave tonight, I want you to know that you're going to blow a flat tire. So I want to get your permission on this, and I'm going to explain all the details of it. And I want you to trust me with it. All right, I guess I will. And then, hey, my, the flat tire blows out, and then, hey, man, I, I, I guess I'll trust you. And then, whoa, hey, a miracle comes, and he provides it, and, wow, and, I, see, and, I, and I, look, I say, okay, wow, I see, okay, that's wonderful. That's not how Christianity works. See, Christianity is the kind of thing where you find yourself in that situation, and you smile in the car going, I know what you're doing. I trust you in the midst of this. Hey, I don't, I, I don't know how this happens. I don't, I don't know why this is taking place in my life, but I trust you in the midst of it. And on the back side of that event, I can look back and see the hand of God moving in the midst of it. And so a, a grumbling is a telltale sign of my not trusting, my not believing, my not responding and saying, wow, oh, I see what you're doing. Or I trust you in the midst of this. Hey, I respond to the, to the fact that you're leading and you're guiding and I don't have to see the details of my life. They don't have to make sense to me. I trust you. The leaders of Israel were not doing that. Um, this was kind of new to me because I had always heard kind of the opposite. And so I'm, I'm proposing to you that you're going to have to make a shift. In other words, what I was taught in college, well, it was all about college. See, the reason I went to college was is that I was supposed to go to college and study and learn 
gather this whole great reservoir of knowledge, which normally didn't take place in four years, so they push you off to seminary as well, so you get even more knowledge. And then after you get all this experience and knowledge, then you're able to go out and work in the kingdom because you have all this knowledge. That's what I was taught. But what I've been finding is, is that Jesus calls guys, you know, dopey heads like me, who have no idea what we're doing, and he thrust us into ministry, and in leaning and trusting and relying, not on all that I have, but on him alone, he is the one that pro- provides the resource for ministry. I, I live out of his guidance. I live out of his smarts. I live out of his brains. So that when people look at me, the only excuse that I have, the only conclusion they can come to is, well, it's obviously not him. <laughs> it must be them. Do you see the shift? I'll give me another one. Um, one of the guys that's been a mentor in my life and is, uh, has been one of the most influential men in my life is a guy named Stephen Manley. Dr. Manley, you probably know him. He's the only man I ever met in my life who flunked his spiritual gift test. And I we used to make fun of him. Me and the other interns and the people who know him best and I'm good friends with him. I said, how could you flunk a spiritual gift test? And he says, it's the concept behind it. What's a spiritual gift test? Well, I want to serve in the church. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find out what my spiritual gift is. I'm going to take these tests, figure out what it is, which is normally stuff that I like, you know, like order. Like My spiritual gift is being uh, a leader. So I can tell you what to do. Yeah, that's my spiritual gift, yeah. Pick that plate up over there. Hey, you be quiet. Hey, you do this. That's my spiritual gift. Praise the Lord. And um, uh, so, hey, I find out what my spiritual gift is. And then I go out and I serve in that capacity. Well, that's... That's a reversal of the biblical concept of spiritual gift. See, the, gift, the, the spiritual gift concept is, is that I give my life to Jesus and He's the source, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are Him and He thrusts me out and I pour my life out and used by Him and the product of that, I see those spiritual gifts begin to come to... I learned my spiritual gift through a life of ministry. See, I knew I was an evangelist after I started preaching. I just started responding and following Jesus. And hey, I started going and holding revivals and such. And people said, what area? I said, oh, I guess I'm an evangelist because after about three or four years, I'm still doing it. <laughs> Do you see the shift that has to take place? So hey, we, it's not bad to be confused. Welcome to the club. See, it's not bad. Not, you understand the disciples who followed Jesus the closest lived in confusion the whole ministry of Jesus. And the pinnacle of deal was, is hey, even though we don't understand this, even though your definition of a Messiah is not our definition of a Messiah, we trust you and we respond to you. And no, this doesn't make sense. And it was after trust, it was after relying, it was after believing that literally spiritual insight was given on the other side of this. So, what's going on in verses 41 through 45? You have the spiritual life of the Jewish, that group, exposed. They don't trust Him. They don't trust Him. They're not responding to Him. In fact, if, every, if things don't go exactly the way that they want it, you're going to hear about it. You ever get like that? Like, uh, you know, if a flat tire uh, arrives in the midst of your life. Oh, let me give you an example. I'll embarrass myself for you. Um, in October... Uh, this last year, uh, we just, from October to December, we almost starved. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It was just really rough. Uh, the baby came a few weeks early, and uh, we, uh, 
you know, schedule in having kids, which I'm sure is what everybody does, and, um, you know, two or three years out in advance. And so well, we had it all scheduled, and, and it was just really weird. God didn't follow the schedule this time because he was supposed to be born in between revivals going through Indiana, but it didn't work that way. So um, we had to cancel some meetings, and then due to some weather, another meeting got canceled, and then uh, another, just several, several things happened, and it was just a really stressful time. So we were parked in Indiana for a period of about two or three weeks at this church. And it's my wife's home church. Gravel parking lot. Parked our, you know, very expensive bus there in the parking lot. An older gentleman from the church. Godly man. Godly man who loves Jesus. uh, Came over to the church to mow the yard. And his theory is to get the lawnmower as close to the dirt as possible. So that way he only has to mow it like once every four or five months. So he's mowing the yard out there. And he goes over the big thick rock gravel and just spews it all over the side of my bus, breaks out some windows, hunks a chunk out of the metal, and didn't even know he did it. And I ran outside and said, Hey! Hey! And he's got, you know, he turns down his hearing aid or something, and, and uh, he did, he had two of them in, and not bad, but, you know, and he turned, he, he shut it off, Hey! And I was like, I was like, you just, and I showed him the bus, he goes, I didn't do that. I was like, what do you think? I said, come on! What do you think about? And I mean, it was an absolute. I walked inside going, rup, 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 rup. <laughs> that spewed out of my life. Um, I don't, I don't want to be like that. And what was so amazing is that that same church, it's really interesting, on the whole side of that building, they never figured this out, on the whole side of that building, there's huge big holes in the side, in the siding, and there's rocks up on top of the building. And you know what they say? It's the kids in the neighborhood. <laughs> and they grumble. And they gripe. And they... <laughs> and you know what... And folks, do you know what that does to that church? Any teenager who comes in that church, there is a spiritual hovering over that deal. And there's bitterness and there's... And there's watching them and lock the doors and don't let them and take off your... You can, you can imagine how many teens go to that church. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. See, what Jesus is revealing in the Jews, verses 41 through 45, that is not that confusion is not because, well, they're just a different culture. They're the older generation. Oh, they're the younger generation. They don't see. No, that's not it. Spiritual problem in their life. It is a direct result of a spiritual problem in their life. Do not be confused. Biblically, when someone walks out of a service going, rut, 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 spiritual problem in their life. It's not, well, you know, drums do that to people. No. Spiritual problem in their life. Uh, I'm tired of being that way. I'm tired of being that way. See, I'm tired of leaving churches and being absolutely about services or about this or having the circumstances of my life unfold. And and literally, the, the whole, I don't trust you, Jesus. I should probably just stop and say that. That, hey, I'm not interested in how you see. I'm not, I, I don't want... I mean, wouldn't it be something in the midst of whatever circumstance that happens in my life, my response is, hey, I'm not really too thrilled about this whole thing, but what are you trying to do in the midst of this? Am I so tight and so, t- so close with you that literally you know what's going on in my life and I'm going to trust and I'm going to watch you as you bring this whole thing together? 
as you're going to bring and you're going to move and you're going to manipulate. Because there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I stake the claim that I trust you and I'm going to be led in God. So in literally the prison cells of my life, in the prison cells of my life, with Silas kneeling beside me and I've just been flogged, I'm going to stand up and go, yes! In the middle of my world. Jesus, I want that desperately in my life. Save me from being a grumbler. I don't want to be the source of negativity in my community. And I'm in a different church every week, and my community is a unique kind of a community. But I, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to have labeled to Jeremiah that he's the guy that just, oh, he's always up in the air about something. And I get so up in the air about those kinds of things. I get so up in the air about things that just aren't going to matter in eternity. I get so up in the air about that kind of stuff that I totally, utterly miss the plan of God in my life. I get so bent out of shape about fruit being thrown at my motorhome that I miss. I miss the reality that maybe that's the only way that I can... I can my attention can be grabbed by the teens in my town. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Um, God's worked me over with this whole thing. Probably the most recent issue in my life besides the motorhome thing. It was a motorhome thing. I got this nice motorhome and God provided us to get it. It's where we take our family around. And Maybe Jesus was telling me I was holding it a little too tight. Was at a revival and it was over Halloween and these kids next door throwing gourds at it. They didn't know I could see out the window. The windows were tinted. I was all bent out of shape at them. Come to find out they were a new family in town and had no church family and their kids were problems. And Wouldn't it be something if the only way Jesus could get my attention was to have them throw gourds at my motorhome? And I was too bent out of shape about the gourds to see the plan of God unfolding it. And I missed that. I missed that. When perhaps I could have walked out and threatened him and said, if you don't show up to church tomorrow, I'm turning you into the cops. I don't know how it would have unfolded, but I, I don't want to miss the unfolding and the moving of God in my world because I'm a grumbler. I don't want that. We're going we're gonna to respond tonight and we're going to seek. We're just going to get after Jesus and... Uh, I love to do that in worship. and I want to invite you. Uh, maybe he's revealed that to your life tonight. That Just, hey, maybe you need to respond. Maybe you need to respond. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's seek him.